Mr. Hardin. Seriously, that was his name. I was assigned to Mr. Hardin's seventh grade geography class, and I was not too happy about it. Mr. Hardin was known as the toughest teacher in the middle school, and he hardly ever smiled. At least that was the rumor mill that the students passed around. But in Mr. Hardin's class, in order to pass the class, you had to learn all the different countries around the world and their capitals. And there were tests and there were quizzes and there were tests and there were quizzes so that you could pretty much be able to name any country around the world and its capital without having to even think about it. That's what he wanted from his students. So, you know, I kind of half-heartedly, honestly, started to memorize these things and learn them, but I thought, how is this really going to help me in the future? Like, I didn't really see the purpose of knowing all these countries and capitals and how this was really going to help me. So I remember my first test I got back, and on it it said, yeah, you know, solid B. I was like, eh, I'm okay with that. Except I looked at the very bottom of the page, and with red ink it said, try again. I know you can do better. Oh, seriously? You see, this teacher was a really good teacher. He knew the kind of student I was. He knew what I was capable of, and he knew I wasn't really applying myself in the way that I could. Now, you tell Debbie Thomas she can't do something, and she's going to do it. So that's what I did. I went home, I studied the material, I got out my books. I was just determined to make this teacher proud of me and to make this teacher smile. And so I remember I had my mom quiz me and my dad quiz me, and I just really applied myself to this material. On the next test, all right, got a nice solid A. I had only missed one question. But the thing that mattered even more to me was when he came by and he put that on my desk and he said, nice job. I knew you could do it. Nice job. I knew you could do it. And it just, he, he, from then on, he wasn't such a tough teacher anymore because he believed in me and because he pushed me to challenge me to do better than I thought I could, and I really, truly appreciated that. I think that learning works best when students have this relationship with their teacher where there's a, there's a mutual understanding that that teacher wants to invest in that student, wants to bring out the very best in that student, and wants to challenge that student, and that student understands that that is what that teacher is trying to do. They're not just trying to be mean. They're not just trying to, you know, lord it over you. They're trying to help you to learn, and they're encouraging you to be better than you thought we could be. And for this next three weeks, we are going to look at some of the teachings of Jesus in this series called Lessons from the Teacher. And some of them are a little bit challenging. And some of them are a little bit hard. And I want to invite all of us to be students of Jesus. No matter what age we are, no matter where we are in life, we're all going to go back to school for a couple of weeks and to really dig into what Jesus said, to wrestle with it, to understand what it meant to be his follower or his student or his learner. Jesus was a great teacher because he really challenged people to think differently, to look at life differently, to look at relationships differently, to look at people differently, to look at life from a different perspective, from a divine perspective. What does it mean to truly be a follower of Jesus? That's what we're going to look at today. So let's pray as we get started. Lord Jesus, thank you for being a great teacher 
the savior of the world, but somebody who came also to challenge us and to think in ways that were different. And so Lord, I pray that as we look at your word this morning and your challenge to the disciples long ago, that we would also wrestle with it and that it would challenge our hearts and our minds this morning too. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. So it's always important when we look at scripture and what Jesus uh, was talking about to really understand who he was talking to in a particular passage. So in order to understand his meanings, we have to study the words of Jesus in context. So we're gonna start with Luke 14 this morning. You're gonna see it up on the screen, starting with verse 25. It says, large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and he turned to them and said. So in this moment, he's talking to the large crowds that had gathered. Before, right before this text, he was talking only to his disciples, to that group of 12 that he had chosen, probably a few more. But this is a particular context where there were large crowds beginning to travel with him, and so that's what he's talking about in this particular section. So turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me, and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Um, Jesus, you're talking to a large crowd here. This really isn't the best way to win friends and influence people. This is hard. And Jesus said this to the people that day, that, that day because he wasn't, um, he wasn't making any uh, concessions. He wasn't interested in drawing a large crowd of fans. He was interested in committed followers and what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. And I think that this is a hard passage to swallow. And Jesus does not hide his requirements from all of those who want to follow him. He doesn't just make it easy so that he'll get people to say yes. Have you ever done that before? I, I, I don't like to do that, but I know that I, in one particular case, I did. I, I really wanted somebody to lead this particular ministry, and so I asked them if they would do that, and I, I think it was around their passion, their gifts, and their skills, and I really wanted them to say yes. So I told them sort of the requirements of the job, but I didn't include the fact that if you're a leader of this ministry that also puts you on the, on the leadership board and there might be some other meetings that need to happen in all of these other cases, I didn't tell them about all the other stuff. Why? Because I wanted them to say yes. But Jesus didn't do that. Like a good teacher, he puts his expectations right up front. He has a syllabus, you know, if we want to use the teacher language, and people know exactly what it is that he's requiring. He knew that for his mission to be successful, he was gonna need a commitment from the people. He was gonna need dedication. People who are willing to give their all for the sake of the mission. It was too important not to. And Jesus makes it clear here just how much following him requires. On the face of it, Jesus' words here seem utterly offensive. Hate your family? Take up your cross, an instrument of death, and follow me. Give up all that you have. And if you don't do these things, you can't be a disciple of Jesus. I mean, what kind of guy was he? This is really hard stuff. And one way that we can respond is to say, Jesus, this is too hard. I'm not going to do it. Or we can go back and look at it. And another way that we can look at it is to say, well, maybe Jesus, he was just trying to do something 
kind of radical to get their attention in the crowd. Do you ever do this? Did you ever do this with your kids or sometimes with your grandkids and you say something really loud because you want them to get their attention? Was Jesus just trying to get their attention when he said this? Maybe we want to water it down a little bit. We want to say, well, he's really saying here that you have to love me more than other things. The message translation says, anyone who comes to me but refuses to let go of father, mother, spouse, or et cetera, cannot be my disciple. Somehow we can hear that better. It doesn't really seem as harsh. And I like that, except for as I was studying it, Jesus uses a Greek word and it means hate. There's no other translation you can use. There's really nothing else to do. If you really want to get to the meaning of what Jesus said and what he did, he uses that word. We really can't get around it. Maybe another way we could see it is, well, maybe Jesus here is trying to help us balance something. We have to balance our love for our family with our commitment to Jesus. And we can't go too much in one direction. We have to balance this idea of loving the people around us and our faithfulness to God. Maybe some of you... You're a teenager today and you say, finally, the pastor tells me I don't have to really like my parents. This is awesome. This is the best service I've ever been to because it says right here, it's okay if I really don't like my parents all that much. Yeah, I want you to get excited about that, except for we do have to uh, balance that with honor thy father and mother in the Ten Commandments. So I'm not sure we're exactly off the hook. And while I kind of like that, Jesus doesn't really use attention here, so I'm not sure we can interpret it that way either. Do we just write Jesus off as being too radical? Do we try to water down what he had to say? Do we try to balance it somehow and make it easier in our heads? As I sort of mold this passage over in my head all week, maybe another analogy we could use is from the world of sports. I love sports. I'm a huge football fan. This is my favorite sports time of the year. And I'm just, oh, I'm really missing not being able to go to the duet football game on Friday and watching my kid play in the band. We got all the gear. We got all of our duet band sweatshirts and shirts and all that stuff. But I am a huge football fan, and I am looking forward to watching my favorite team today, the Green Bay Packers, play. So I'm just going to out myself and tell you where my allegiances lie. I've got my uh, Aaron Rodgers jersey right here, okay? And um, I'm going to be wearing it this afternoon, and I really enjoy that. And I can put this jersey on, but it doesn't make me a player, does it? In order to be a player, you have to work hard. And Aaron Rodgers didn't get to be the quarterback of the Green Bay Packers just from sitting around, did he? He had to work hard from when he was little and growing up and playing on football and going to college and working hard every single week and getting drafted to a team and showing up every Sunday and working hard and keeping in shape and keeping your skills up. It's not easy to be a player on any level of any sport. You have to work hard at it. And just putting a shirt on doesn't make you a player. It takes a commitment to be a player. 
And perhaps that gets to the core of what Jesus is trying to say here. He's, it's what he's calling the people to do. He didn't want just a big crowd, a bunch of fans who would cheer and get excited about all of his blessings and the miracles and all the things that God could do. Maybe Jesus was calling those in the crowd to get out of the stands and to be a player on the field. And he knew that in those early generations to decide to follow Jesus meant that it was going to be hard and it was going to take some work and there might be some ridicule and there might be some rejection and there might be some pain and there might be some trial. To be his disciple meant that you aren't just a casual student or you're just a learner. It means that you're a student who embraces the extra credit. Remember what the, the teachers would say in school, you know, you can do all of this work and then here's the extra credit. And were you the kind of student who would embrace that extra credit? The stuff that's meant to push you and the stuff that's meant to challenge you and the stuff that was hard and the stuff that you did in addition to everything else? Maybe Jesus is looking, he's looking out in that big crowd and he's saying, who are the students who are gonna work really, really hard? Who are the students who are gonna embrace the extra credit, who are gonna understand the challenge behind this, who's gonna be able to do everything that you can to increase your knowledge? To be his disciple meant that you were his apprentice, that you are on a mission to become like him. And to follow a rabbi in that time, it was a great privilege and Jesus wanted them, he looked out at that crowd and he wanted them to count the cost of getting out of the stands and onto the field. And he asked, are you willing to make a choice for me that might conflict with your family? Are you ready to sacrifice? Are you willing to work hard for me even when it's inconvenient for you personally? Are you willing to carry your cross? In other words, are you willing to submit to me? Are you willing to hang in there even when it doesn't feel like you're winning? And he asked them that day, he gave them an example, verse 28. He says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. A wise builder counts the cost before he starts a project, and in the same way, we are to count the cost of being a player on the field. And when Jesus says to give up everything, it means that, that God has a claim on all that we have, on our time, our talents, our wallets, our language, our words, our attitude, our actions. It means that when we commit to being a follower of Jesus, when we commit to being a Christian, it's not just a one-day affair. It's not coming to church when we want to or you know, every once in a while. He's committing us to be a follower. We're committing to be a follower of him and to embrace this relationship with him where we continually learn and we continually work at what it means to be closer and more like Christ. Discipleship takes dedication and focus. God is concerned about how we walk and how we talk every single day. It's about reflection and focus to be a disciple and it doesn't happen by accident and it takes work and it takes discipline and it takes effort. Jesus calls us into a relationship with him, not just a decision to follow him, but an ongoing relationship with him. Just as a learner or as a student, we enter into a relationship with that teacher so that we can learn 
along the journey. I sometimes think of it like a marriage. And I get a chance to sit down with couples before their wedding and do some premarital counseling. And you know, they come in for premarital counseling and they want to sit close to each other and their eyes sparkle and they talk about loving each other and they want to hold hands and it's so wonderful. And we come and we come down the aisle and they turn on that beloved day and they take those vows for one another and they say I do and they say I love you. And we get excited when we go to a wedding because it's special and beautiful. And what happens if that couple, they leave that day and they walk out and they never do any of those things anymore? And they never say I love you and they never invest in that relationship and they never do any of those things that brought them to the altar. What's gonna happen to that marriage? It's not gonna last very long and it certainly isn't gonna be fulfilling. And the same thing happens as we make a decision to follow Jesus. It's this ongoing relationship that we have to keep investing in. That's what Jesus is calling us to be as his followers, is to continually invest in this relationship. And sometimes it makes me sad that students, they go through confirmation maybe in middle school or in high school, and they learn about faith and about Jesus and what it means to follow him. But then they never ever take a class after that, and and adults never take a class after that again to learn about their faith. You see, all of us are in this constant process of continuing to learn more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And what do successful students do? Hopefully they listen to the teacher. They invest in the material. They make a commitment to study. And Jesus must be our first love above anything else. And when we get this relationship right with Jesus, it makes us better in everything else that we do. When I get up and I have my prayer time and my Bible study time and my devotion time with Jesus from 6 to 6.30 in the morning and I get that priority right and I get my prayer done for the day, it makes me then a better spouse and a better mom and a better coworker and a better leader and a better pastor. And when I miss that time where I get my first priority right, everything else isn't quite right that day. And I may be grumpy because I stayed up late and then I don't want to get up in the morning and then everything else just sort of befuggles after that. And so we have to get that first priority right, that Jesus must be our first love. And when we get that relationship right, everything else begins to fall into place. And our lives as followers of Jesus are to continually be transformed to be more like Christ. And so can we see that we're more patient today than we were two years ago? Or we're more loving today and and understand that differently than we did a year ago? All of us are in this constant transformation process, transforming our heart, our mind, and our perspective. So my question to each of us today, as Jesus asked long ago, What is your level of commitment? What is your level of commitment to Jesus? Are you a student who's all in? Or are you just trying to skate by in the Christian life, in the Christian faith? Martin Luther once wrote, you'll see this up on the screen. He said, a religion that gives nothing, costs nothing, and suffers nothing is worth nothing. 
That's not easy, is it? A religion that gives nothing, costs nothing, suffers nothing, is worth nothing. Discipleship is not always easy. To be his disciple means that we're on a mission to learn from him, to stay focused on him. We're not just a fan who cheers when everything is going good, but we're on the player on the field. We're trying to make things happen. We're trying to do what we can to allow Jesus' kingdom to come on earth. Now, how do we do that in a practical sense? I think it's about carving out time to be with Jesus, to read the scripture, and to pray. And sometimes people like to do that in the morning, that just works well for me. Sometimes people like to do that before they go to bed at night. Some people like to do it at lunchtime. It doesn't matter when you do it. But it's about making that daily commitment to be in God's word and to be in prayer to read and to learn and to soak that up about what Jesus is trying to teach me. And if you are just starting on that, go to one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, and read a chapter each day and learn and let that just soak into your mind and your heart about what Jesus said and what he meant and what that means for you today. Maybe it's about simply taking the Digging Deeper guide and and thinking through some of these questions and maybe talking about it with your family or with a friend or something like that as a way to just keep this intentionally in before you. Maybe it's about intentionally making this a routine to be here on Sunday mornings, either in person or online, whether it's convenient or not. Maybe it's about connecting online with the in-person or online options for children and youth because it matters, because it makes a difference that your children grow in faith. We have to work at keeping faith a priority. Sometimes it's easy and sometimes it's not. But we have to work at keeping it a priority all the time. Ultimately, the qualifications that Jesus puts forth for his disciples, they weren't easy. Sometimes they were even offensive. Sometimes they were even radical. Jesus was a tough teacher at times, challenging people to think differently. Will you and I rise to that challenge? He wants to bring the best out of you and he wants to bring the best out of me. His mission is of utmost importance and we're gonna talk more specifically about his mission next week in the message. But he's building a movement of people A movement of people who are serious about bringing God's kingdom to bear on earth and to being different and to making a difference in our world. He's putting out his syllabus. He's stating his standards for what his disciples need to be and to do. And his standards are high because the mission and the stakes of ministry are that high. And for the sake of God's kingdom and for the sake of ministry and for the sake of eternity, he invites you and I to say, yes, Jesus, you can count on me. Let's pray. Maybe in these stressful days you've relied on your faith in Jesus Christ more than you ever have before. Or maybe you've kind of put faith in Christ on the back burner. Or maybe you've just never really entered into that relationship with Jesus Christ before. And this morning... This morning, there's something that's tugging on your heart and soul. That you want to be a player. And that you want to just 
dig in and, and to take your faith seriously as we start this new school year, as we get all of our rhythms and routines worked out, to allow the richness of God's word and connecting with him in prayer to just be part of that routine. And I thank you, Lord, for those that, that have that regular rhythm, that you would help them to be consistent and, and, and make that be a priority every day. And Lord, for those who, who struggle with that or have never really tried it before, God, I pray that you would just speak to their hearts and, and draw them to your word, Lord, that it might provide just a great start to the day or close to the day or nourishment, Lord, for their soul. Lord, help us not to just follow you for the blessings or not to just follow you when it's easy, but to follow you even when it's hard. And we get worn out and, and our bodies are worn out because we're fighting so hard on the, on the turf or on the field. But we're willing to sacrifice because we know that faith is important. So help us, Lord, help us to be good students. Help us to be great listeners of you as you teach us how to live and to love others this week. And Lord, if there's somebody here that's never invested in that relationship with you, that maybe this morning is that day and you just say, Jesus, I wanna be your follower. And there's something about you that just compels me and I, I wanna be counted with you. Forgive me of my past, Lord, and Help me to be, help me to be your follower. Lord, thank you for all that you've given to us. And may these words, Lord, of ruminate in our soul the cost of what it means to be your follower. And help us to step up to that challenge. In the name of Christ we pray, amen.